here at Crossfields, we've only been around for six or seven months, but already I know people here who have gone to the hospital for a heart attack. I know people who have gone in for cancer. I know people who have gone in for other surgical procedures. Some of you, your marriages have been attacked. Your finances have been attacked. Your homes have been attacked. Uh, so what's going on here? Is God angry at us? Uh, do we lack faith? And if, if, so, if it's all normal, what's the purpose to all this that's going on? Well, why don't we let God's word speak to us regarding trials and tribulations? If you would, open up your Bibles to Romans 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5. He starts, Paul starts out in verses 1 and 2, saying, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Sounds good so far. As believers, the first thing we have is peace. We know that the natural man, the unregenerate man, the person who's not born again, is at war with God. By nature, we're rebellious against God, whether we know it or not. Uh, but we're born again. Now there's peace with God. There's a ceasefire, in, in essence. The second thing we have, we see, is we have access. We have access to his throne. Wow. <laughs> if, if peace wasn't enough with God, we get to... Hebrews 4.16 says we can boldly come to the throne of grace, that in times of need we may obtain mercy and grace. And also we have hope. So we have hope on top of that, which is great. But it doesn't end there. Verses 3 through 5 as we continue. It says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, how many people glory in tribulation? Well, you just found out that your company made some unwise financial investments with your retirement, and now you can't retire. Uh, we glory in that. You just found out that you or your spouse got bad news from the doctor's report. We glory in that. You just found out that your kid, son or daughter, grows up, decides to walk away from the Lord and leave a, lead a self-destructive lifestyle. We glory in that. Why would we glory in these things? What is he talking about? Well, because we know that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance. The world's response is to be desperate and to be defeated. Or, if the world is trying to fix their problems, they'll use any unscrupulous means to better their situation. But we as Christians are called to persevere to seek God, and Paul says to finish the race. Perseverance produces approved character. This is where the world sees what we're made of as Christians. In the police department I worked at before this one, we had a section of town where there was two neighborhoods that were always at war with each other. And we would get a call. They would be fighting in the streets and using bats and all kinds of stuff. And we'd get down there and... Very quickly, they were fighting with each other, but when they saw the police, we were a common enemy, so they started coming after us, which sounds funny now, but it really wasn't funny at the time. Uh, one of the guys on my squad, his name was George. When things got really bad, he would turn to us and go, now's the time to panic. Now, he said that facetiously, but, it, you know, you don't show fear as a policeman. Inside, I'm thinking, that's a good idea, panic. <laughs> you know, What else am I going to do? I'm not a Christian. Uh, but as Christians, we initially reel from the shock of bad news. Sometimes the bad news feels like we got punched in the stomach and it let the air out. But when we come to grips and we come to our senses about who we are in Christ, we get back on track and we focus. 
When I think of approved character, I think of Shari DeBrito. This is a person who had cancer and was able to get through it, had surgery, and after that, not even a few months later, she found cancer somewhere else and went through surgery, and it's still not over. But this is a woman who I've never heard complain. She's a good example to me. And ask my wife when I go through surgery if I don't complain. But she still maintains her sense of humor, her jocular attitude, and she continues to worship and serve God. Uh, she's a picture of strength. Why is that? Is it because she's better than anybody else in this room? No. It's a, it's a, a direct proportional relationship to her, her, her relying on the Lord is what gives her that strength. An approved character produces hope. We can become so in tune with the Lord and focus on his promises and the joy that he set before us. I remember the movie, remember the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson? The common line was, stay the course. Well, if you were the Americans, you would see the Brits, nice uniforms, seemed like a lot of guys, great military, superior weaponry. By all, by all stretch of you know, what you would see in the logical world, they were going to win. But stay the course. The people were supposed to see above those circumstances to the freedom that they were going to have and to, to you know, release the, the yoke of British rule. And it was always to look forward past all the circumstances. Why doesn't hope disappoint? Because God, because the Holy Spirit poured the love of God into our hearts. The love of God sustains us in all our afflictions. Well, what does the book of James have to say about this subject? Well, let's turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Well, Paul tells us in Romans 5 to glory in tribulation. Now James is telling us to be joyful in trials. This book is truly written for believers, because anybody else would look at it and say, they've got to be crazy. What is this stuff? You'd be happy in these circumstances? So, on a side note, difference between trials and tribulation. Tribulation is great misery or distress, affliction. Trials are trying, testing, or proving by suffering or temptation. In James, the word for trial, parasmos in the Greek, is also used later in the chapter to describe temptation, so it becomes a contextual issue. Trials and tribulation have similar meaning, but trial, it seems, is more for a purpose. It's more to develop, but we'll see that later. And in verse 3, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's tested faith produces patience and perseverance, which is what Paul spoke of in Romans. James agrees with Paul and points to an additional benefit. Perfection, completion, lacking nothing. Does that sound unattainable? Does it sound presumptuous, high and mighty? Well, let's look at, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read uh, uh, one of the lines that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 5, verses 48. He says, when Jesus, when Jesus was speaking about love, Jesus told his followers to love their enemies because it, what it did was it took their love to the next level. And he encouraged them to be perfect as their heavenly father was perfect. So if we were confused before, now we're really confused. So we can be perfect like God? Doesn't that sound blasphemous? Well, not if you understand what he's saying here. The word for perfect is teleos, which a version of it, is used when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. He said, tetelestai, which means it is finished, it is accomplished. The word can mean many things, uh, mature, complete, nothing else needed to be added. 
That's the one I like, contextually, for this position. As the Father, as Jesus speaks about the Father, the Father in heaven is perfect. As the Father is perfect, he needs nothing. His being, he's so perfect in what he is, he's so complete, that you can't add anything to God. That would be blasphemy. As Jesus was on the cross, and he, and he said, it is finished, it is perfected, the debt is paid in full, nothing else needs to be added. And that's why when we, as Christians who know the truth, and another so-called Christian doctrine comes in, and it talks about things we have to add to the salvation of Jesus Christ, we get all upset. Because Jesus said himself, it is finished. Nothing else needs to be added. And as we understand, when Jesus talked about loving our enemies, yeah, everybody loves each other. You know, that word is so overused in this society. I love you. I love you. Love ya, you know. But uh, <laughs> there's got to be meaning behind it. And, and we've kind of cheapened it. In the Greek, there was four words for love. It was so important that they uh, had different, almost different stages of love, different meanings for love. But Jesus said, you really, you really think you have love? You really want to build that love? Love your enemies. Oh, but we were always told we should hate our enemies. Yeah, because that's easy. Loving your enemies is very difficult. Um, and then we can understand what James is talking about here. Complete, mature, whole, lacking nothing as these things happen to us. So James is speaking, obviously, of the spiritual versus the temporal. What God sees versus what the world sees. Obviously, let me just give you an example of two people who exist. I don't have anybody particular in my mind, but think about a movie star, and there's plenty of them out there. And think of, about, think of a high school janitor in any small town, suburban town. The movie star is attractive, wealthy, popular, has three therapists for when things go wrong. If he didn't get the part, he can consult one of his three therapists. Um, he seeks religion based on his lifestyle. You know, we don't, want to, we don't want to go somewhere where people talk about offensive words like hell, sin, blood. That's offensive. So I'm going to keep shopping until I find something that makes me feel comfortable. The school janitor, uh, with weathered appearance, works outside a lot, works a lot physically. Uh, he's a nobody. He's in the lower economic uh, scale of life. Uh, but he's a strong Christian. He's strong in, in, in the witness of Christ. He's strong in the word of God. He's generous. Who would the world say is perfect and lacking nothing? But who would God say was perfect and lacking nothing? I think, I think the answer is obvious and they're opposed to each other. You ever see these people, even as Christians? You ever walk by them? We're so busy in this country. We're so hustle and bustle. And we're brainwashed by the media to, to judge people based on their appearance. That even as Christians, we walk by these people. You know, we, we want to evangelize. Where do we want to evangelize? You know, where, where are we choosing to go? Um, I think about my job. We have a, uh, a janitorial crew. They're mostly Hispanic, men and women. They mostly speak Spanish, very little English. And uh, mostly they're ignored by people. I don't think it's because they don't like them. It's just because they're like a wall ornament. These people, they're the janitors. Why talk to them? What can you get out of those people? Just keep going. We're busy. We have things to do. Um, and it's a shame because, you know, I try to build bridges with, with everybody, even though I know very little Spanish. I mean, my, my favorite line is, ¿Cómo se dice en español? And that means, that means how do you say this in Spanish? And I'll point, and they'll say guitar in Spanish or whatever. It's my favorite thing. Or I'll go sweeping, limpiar. Yeah, pretty good, huh? But, uh, you know, it's funny, too. Or The only thing that other people see is, this room needs to be cleaned. Okay. 
This room needs to be clean. Why is it when somebody doesn't understand the language, you think if you speak louder, they'll understand you? Oh, now I understand. Clean the room. I'm glad you shouted it to me. <laughs> but basically, uh, so, so I built a bridge with these people, and I actually one time used one of the dispatchers who's bilingual to help me really have a conversation through her. And they accepted what I said about the Lord. And the dispatcher said to me, the reason why they listen to you is because you're one of the few people, and Marty back there who works with me, you're one of the few people that recognize them as human beings, you know. And I'll tell you, I'm learning Spanish too, so it's all a benefit. But uh, it's kind of cool because the, build was, the bridge was built, and now they don't stop bugging me for Spanish tracks. Librete, librete, okay. But uh, it's pretty cool. I know I'm going off a little bit of a tangent, but I really think that this point is very important. Look at the Laodiceans. Again, look at how we look at things and look at how God looks at things. And the Laodiceans really get picked on, but I'm going to read a little bit about them too. Uh, it's Revelation 3, 16 through 17. Revelation 3, 16 through 17. Jesus says to the church, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How frightening. The frightening part is the later scenes thought they had it going on. They thought they were special. And they thought that they, you know, had it all. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What a frightening, frightening thing for us to find out about ourselves if Jesus was to come to us and tell us that. The Laodiceans were, their beliefs and what God saw was 180 degrees out of phase, totally out of whack. I mean, think about if the way he spoke about them. Think about if the doors opened up and somebody walked in and they, they were naked. They had no clothes on. Probably a lot of us would laugh. Hopefully somebody would go to give them a sweater. And somebody would probably call the cops because they probably would think that they were nuts. But... People, you know, that's a good picture that Jesus uses of how we should, you know, how God saw the church and how they saw themselves. It's totally different. So, you know, to, to bring it home, basically, uh, God, the goal is to see things, see ourselves, see other people the way God sees ourselves and things and other people. First Peter, I'm going to go with verses three through nine. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. First Peter one. Verses 3 through 9. Peter says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, through an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, so far, like Paul, it was good news. Sounds good at first, doesn't it? Uh, basically, we have an inheritance waiting for us. It can't be stolen, can't decay. It can't lose its value. Talk about a good retirement plan. Remember what Jesus said about storing up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal, versus temporal, temporal treasures. On top of that, we're kept by the power of God. God has his hand on us to guide us all throughout our, our, our walk. I mean, if that's not comforting. So even though we screw up, make mistakes, uh, don't get it, he's always got his hand on us. We're kept by the power of God. He's always there to guide us if, we, if we'll allow him. 
And verse 6, uh, Peter says that we should graciously, greatly re- rejoice in what he just said, even though those people were going through various trials. Uh, the trials is the same word used in the book of James. The whole thing basically is regarding testing. Remember, Peter and James were both talking about a dispersed group, the scattered, the 12 tribes, the diaspora. Okay? They were addressing people who had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Now, we know that Satan loves to attack us when we're alone and when he perceives we're the weakest. He did it with Eve. He waited till Adam and Eve were separated, and he had a pretty nice conversation with her. And he eventually ended up screwing the whole world because he got her by herself. Uh, he tried it with Jesus. I guess he figured, well, you know, I've always known the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be together. So now that Jesus is separated physically, let me give it a shot. Obviously, it didn't work, but that's what he does. He attacks when we're alone and and perceived weaknesses. So the testing here that Peter is speaking of to these people, he wants to make sure that when they're tested, that they're restored, that they don't fall back, that they don't falter in their faith. He's speaking to people when the letters were circulated, people could have been reading, reading it individually instead of within a group. So it was an encouragement there. So he wants to see the testing will prove whether someone collapses or stands strong. One or two things will happen there. You know, in Romans 5, Paul speaks of hope. In James 1, James speaks of maturity, of the spiritual man. But neither could be achieved without believing in him and his promises, and that's faith. So without faith being part of the equation, these things can't happen. And in verse 7, or actually, let me, let me continue, verses uh, 6 through 9, which I didn't finish reading. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious, precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So in verse 7, Peter speaks of your faith being perfected, by going through trials. It's tested by fire, fiery trials. Uh, this is an often used illustration we, we've heard of a lot. You know, when you, you can filter a liquid, you can't filter a metal because it's solid, you can't go through anything. So if somebody's working with metal, whether it be silver or gold, they have to heat it up till it becomes like a liquid, you still can't filter it. And then what they do is they just take the impurities that rise up to the top, skim it, chuck it, heat it up again, keep doing it until eventually the metal is pure. So there's, there's a picture of what he's talking about. But as we see faith in the midst of trials and suffering, where does the affliction come from? I want to go a little bit, make a little detour and talk a little bit about where afflictions come from. These trials, these tribulations, these testings, these temptations, what does it all mean? What does it all come from? How does this work out in my life? Well, I have like five kind of reasons where these things come from. And a lot of things that you could think about will fit in one of these categories. The first thing is where these trials come from is our own stupidity. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Peter says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. So he's trying to tell us that that's normal as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. So, if you find yourself in the back of a police car with a complimentary set of nice silver bracelets put on like this, because you broke into somebody's house, that's just stupid. So basically, the first principle is um, we make our own problems. And sometimes we try to attribute it. Don't even blame the devil for that one. Sometimes we do things, we make bad choices, and we suffer the repercussions based on our choices. Uh, so that, that's the first um, sec- section there. It's a cause and effect relationship. The second part where trials come from is basically, in scientific terms, is the second law of thermodynamics. thermodynamics or positive entropy and all that just means is everything goes from a state of order to a state of disorder you've you've heard that you've seen that scriptures to back up that are Romans 8 18 through 23 it talks about the creation and its groaning and and suffering and and all the things that are happening um, looking forward to the day of redemption Romans 6 23 and Romans 5 12 for the state of mankind because sin entered the world, death entered the world. And things are just in a, in a downward spiral because of, of sin, because of the fall. But, you know, our bodies are dying every day that we're alive. Think about that one. Every day we're alive, our bodies are dying. It's not a question of if we will die. It's a question of when. Unless, of course, the Lord comes back for us or soon. Uh, the weather. The weather is going to harm some of us because of the way the creation is. The way the creation is breaking down is harmful. Things in the weather. There's the earthquakes. There's uh, hurricanes. All kinds of things that, that kill people. Uh, and our homes are certainly coming apart, which is something that I'm very aware of. You know, if it's, if it's not black mold, my wife will find something to poke or to move or to push. I mean, everything's just kind of minding its own business, but she kind of pushed it over the edge. So, Joe, can you fix this? <laughs> I love my wife. She's great. Um, number three, the effect on us because of someone else's evil decision. Crime. That, that's a simple one. God... To, to, you know, it's such a, a hard thing to understand. You know, people say, well, why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow war? Why does God allow this? Why does God, God allow that? A lot of things, whether it's war or famine or, uh, you know, crime, can always be traced back to someone's evil decision. Unfortunately, if they're a tyrant, they have a lot of influence over probably millions of people. So uh, people's free choice is is a lot of the reasons why people are afflicted. It's, you know, it has a snowball effect. But the truth is that if God was to intervene every time a crime was committed or every time somebody was starving, then he might as well just completely take away our free will. And really nobody would knew, know if anybody loved each other, let alone knew if they loved God. So it's, it's kind of a, a difficult thing to understand, but it, it has to be. Number four, where do things come from? The effects of Satan directly sifting us as wheat. If you look at Luke 22, I'm not going to read it, but if you look at Luke, or write down Luke 22, 31 through 34, you see that Satan had asked to sift Peter as wheat, and he did. <laughs> and Peter denied the Lord. But Jesus prayed for his restoration, and that's what Jesus is doing for us. We have, we have a lot better on our side than against us. You know, Satan uses sufferings to bring out the worst in us, but God uses sufferings, uses them to bring out the best in us. 
And verses 1 through 4 can basically fall into a category of three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, we know, doesn't support what we do. All you have to do is turn on the TV and, you know, they love, the media people love to get a Christian who's not well-spoken or they're just ready with certain questions to pounce on them or to cut them off so the person from the other side could, could lambaste them. Um, the world just loves to tear us apart. However, if, if you want to talk about the, the movie stars and their new Kabbalah religion, which really you can't even call it Jewish mysticism because the Torah says that mysticism is punishable by death. So it's kind of a, an oxymoron to have a Kabbalah, a Jewish mysticism. But the media loves that. Oh, look, Madonna's doing it and Roseanne Barr. These people are great, aren't they? But that's something that they fawn over. The devil, I'll, I'll save the flesh for last. The devil, we know, he's the adversary. He's the liar. He's the accuser. I mean, the name says everything, all, all the things that he's called the destroyer. Uh, he, just, he just hates us. You know, he hates God's, you know, those of us that are, God's affection. He hates mankind, and he's trying to take as many down with him as he can. And then the last one is the flesh. Well, so I'm going to tell you who your biggest enemy is. Get up. No, not now. When this is over. Everybody get up. File out to the bathrooms. Now, men in the men's bathroom, women in the women. Everybody go over to the sink and look above the sink, and you're going to see your biggest enemy. I see my biggest enemy every day. I get up in the morning, and I look in the mirror. Oh, you. You're trouble. What are you up to today? So we, it's, isn't it odd that it's kind of um, paradoxical that we are our own worst enemy? But it's true. It's really true. Um, we work against ourselves. And the last one, five, which I saved for last, is I call the discipline principle. Let's go to Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. The author says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That's news for a lot of people. Proverbs, uh, I remember my grandmother, she used to quote things. She used to say, spare the rod, spoil the child. But really, if you read Proverbs, Solomon says, he who spares the rod hates his son. That has a lot more impact than spare the rod, spoil the child. I mean, if you just let a child go, let them do what they want. First of all, if they don't get hurt or kill themselves, um, they're, they're going to be morally corrupt when they get older. Children look for those boundaries. They test those boundaries. It, it's really wearisome to parents. You know, I know that. But um, it's something that you need to – it's work. It's work to discipline a child. It's easy to just let, let them do whatever they want. But he says in verse 7, if you endure chastening – God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. Boy, that's strong language. So you've got to think about um, Christians or you know, people who say that they always want to be comfortable. They always want their lives perfect. And if something is going wrong, they will do everything, bite, kick, scratch, and claw to make their lives better because they're trying to wiggle out of that discipline. So he says here that you're illegitimate and not sons if you're not partaking with the discipline from God. And we've all been through that at some point or another. Verse 9, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit 
that we may be partakers of his holiness. So it produces, God's discipline produces holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It is amazing how many things we benefit by when the Lord chastens us. So the Lord's doing something in us. He's protecting us from, our, from something. He could be protecting us from ourselves. Uh, it could be done to humble us. But either way, if you look at those reasons, those are all reasons that a loving parent would discipline their child for. So the reason why I saved uh, this one for last is because, to me, God can use any of the previous examples of one through four for good. Bad things happen, and God can use them. Rome, Romans 8.28. I should have this memorized. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Pete says that a lot. Not some things, but all things. So all things, no matter what happens, no matter what somebody does to you, no matter what circumstance happens in your life, God can use any of those things and turn it around for good. But what, we, what do we do? You know, sometimes we fall into tribulation. Sometimes we fall into temptation. Sometimes we'll be tested. And it's human nature to question, you know, we're always trying to figure it out. Okay, did I do this to myself or did God do this or is the devil trying to get me? Because we always want to think about, you know, figure it all out. But we're, we're not always going to. Could have been something that we did. Could have been something that Satan just, you know, dogpile on the rabbit. He gets involved too. And then God moves it all out of the way and he uses that bad situation and he turns it all around for good to us. So... Uh, the real question is, should we ask ourselves, and you know, I, I say this a lot to people when they're going through things, well, of course it has to be tactfully done, but what, what is the God trying to show you through this? And it doesn't mean that uh, you're being punished, but it could mean that maybe somebody wronged you. But what are you learning through this? You're learning patience. Are you learning forgiveness? You might be completely innocent, but there's always a lesson that we can learn from going through these trials and afflictions. I believe this is a timely message for us at Crossfield because we're filling in a need in this area. And don't think for a minute that Satan doesn't have all of you in the crosshairs or your name is on one of his lists to get people back. You know, Satan will try to destroy this church before it's even started because we're filling a gap. We're filling a hole in this area. Uh, you saw how many people are, are coming just in the last six, seven months. Uh, how many people are learning and how many people have been blessed and, you know, how many people brought other people and so on and so forth, right? So, um, you know, we've endured a lot as a fellowship and don't think that there's not more where that came from. So just remember Jesus said this, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Romans 8.31 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us?